Uh-huh. A little bit. Okay. That uh, Noah uh, is is on the, um, I think, board of directors of Open Dhamma Foundation, which um, is organized by uh, Tucker Peck. And uh, Jim Irving, which I know is on the board, and a couple other people I don't. Um, and meanwhile, uh, Dan has spent some time, a lot of time with Tucker, and also has another guy named uh, Upali. Uh, his Western name is Paul. And we've got quite a number of others that I know of. For instance, uh, uh, Christopher Kerr, Danny Cox is beginning to teach. There's a lot of sort of need now for the Dhamma at the same time when there is sort of a budding uh, new generation of Dhamma students or Dhamma teachers. But this Open Dhamma Foundation that Tucker runs uh, is primarily oriented into giving scholarships to uh, students who want to do a research. Ah, now the what that means is it's very Western in its style, and by doing so, it 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 also supports uh, teachers in business of teaching the Dhamma. If we could change the focus of that foundation, or not just leave that alone, but have something additional. That what we're doing is supporting the teachers, supporting the teachers in several ways. One of them would be financial. Another one would be uh, uh, generally support in the sense of uh, where are good places to do retreats, but not from the place uh, angle of uh, students wanting to do the retreats, but rather uh, for the teachers to find out where all the retreat centers are, so that the teachers as a group begin to have uh, collectively uh, more say-so with the idea of taking it in the, in the direction of the teachers are doing this for Donna only and able to support themselves. You know this is an old issue of mine. Yes. <sighs> And so rather than uh, making hard and fast rules like you cannot join this organization and get any support if you're charging money, that's the wrong way to look at it. But rather looking at it that the teachers themselves know that um, it would be better for them to work with Donna rather than charging money and perhaps we could get the next generation of Buddhist teachers in that realm and out of uh, the psychologist business model that this current generation is stuck in. And that is you got to pay for what you get. Got to pay for the retreats. Rather than having the retreats, uh, let us say, the logistics of the retreat set up in advance. So that the building is there, 
the staff is there, the food is there, the cooking is there, and all the students are invited to come do the retreat free of charge with whichever particular teacher or group of teachers that they're uh, working through. And then at the end, the students can decide how much Donna that they want to contribute uh, in two directions. One is towards the, um, the bed and breakfast organization that's actually hosting the retreat. And then the other side would be the teachers themselves and separate that um, uh, the management and the logistics of the retreat from the teaching of the retreat. But now, in many cases, they're combined together, and it, the retreat costs this much, and it's got teaching and everything mixed in. If that's the case, you know, Robert, that that invites competition. Competition between the teachers as I want more students and I want more money because I'll feel better if I've got more students and more money. Right? Isn't that the way that we think? Quite often. <laughs> well, if that's the way that the Dhamma teachers think, what do you think they're going to be teaching their students? Can they actually teach generosity if they're not practicing it themselves? Hello. <laughs> I'm here. I'm okay. thinking. <laughs> so my idea is just to try to get the guys organized. Just get them organized and let them kind of work it out. That I'm I'm I would be there, but I'm old generation. I'm talking about the young generation, the, the new group. The ones that are not in Jack Cornfield, Joseph Goldstein's, Achan Semedo, and my generation, but a new generation. So let's get it started, especially since there are so many people who are now beginning to see the value of the Dhamma. And perhaps this Corona-19 thing that's going on is, is going to um, add even more uh, uh, energy or oomph to uh, Western Buddhism so that it's got a new opportunity. But if uh, we don't have, let us say, some standards, then anybody and everybody's brother can start teaching Dhamma, start charging money, which has happened. That's how it got started in the first place. <laughs> So let me clarify. So what you're thinking of is creating a resource for emerging uh, Dhamma teachers. I have no idea how people become one, but assuming that they are one, one way Actually, or another. There's, there's two ways, but go ahead. We'll talk about the two ways later. <laughs> um. This is putting together a resource for them, essentially, for places that retreats could be held. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different ways that you can structure that, though. I mean, the model that most people come to mind is like having a retreat center, but 
you can use Airbnbs, you can use national parks, you could use hotels. If you want to be clever about it, you can, you know. I, I've heard of groups that literally run retreats in public parks in the city and just live like homeless people for a short duration of time. Actually, we had discussed that as our as one of our plans, <laughs> which never came through because Sam won't let me go travel to wherever the Western Meditation students are. So it's unlikely that I'm going to be involved in any of those kind of retreats. But yes, that would be exactly how I would do a retreat if I were I in mean, the West. And that's not to mention the fact that you also have all of these temples set up by Asian communities, most of which would probably be quite open to people running retreats, provided that they're respectful and are able to contribute a bit to the ongoing operation of the temple. I mean, is it really that hard to find a place to do a retreat? Um, I feel like that's the easy part. The hard part is finding the people to do it. Uh, yes, you mentioned something there about the hard part is getting people to do it. Uh, in that regard, there would be three kinds of people. One would be uh, volunteers, and then the others would be the ones who actually do some work, which would be the retreat manager and the cooks. And they're the ones that either have to be paid or coerced to get into it. They've got to be old Amish dudes. But it's also possible for the food to be um, done by the community. That if you're going to do it off in the woods, then we can take the food that we're going to use and cook and have that as part of the meditation, as cooking meditation. Is it that hard to find people who will work in the kitchen? No, that's what I'm saying. That actually I'm disagreeing with you in a bit uh, because of the let us say, standard way that retreat centers have sprung up. I give you several examples. Um, Berry Center, Spirit Rock, uh, uh, what uh, Gil Fosdale is doing. You also have uh, Santi Caro. Uh, you have the Southern Dhamma Center, which doesn't have a particular teacher. They invite teachers in, but it's still a huge organization, a building that was, or a set of uh, properties that were set up to be meditation studios. These are uh, a number of them. They're all over the place. Uh, quite a number, in fact, in North Carolina alone. So I imagine that there literally dozens. Other examples would be um, uh, Coyote Stronghold and other places like that um, in Arizona. Uh, so basically, many of the teachers make the huge mistake of if I'm going to teach the Dhamma, I've got to have a place to teach the Dhamma. Therefore, it's up to me to build the place. And so then... Uh, each one of these meditation teachers wind up being um, money grubbers asking for donations. They become um, uh, construction uh, contractors. They become uh, con uh, builders. 
And then when it's all done, then they become retreat center managers. And their original intention was to be Dhamma teachers. And so we've listed more than 10 who have made that kind of mistake. And I don't even have a clue about how many there are. But you're right about the other one, the more Asian or traditional way, because for a long time I ran retreats at what? Greensboro. Uh, Mahasamsak was, was good for that. Uh, but what he couldn't do was provide a cook. So uh, that was a bit, <laughs> let's say, dicey. <laughs> but we got, got that done. Getting, getting the cook to cook for the group was uh, uh, the hard part. But finding someone to manage the uh, retreat was easy enough. So you're right, though. We've already discussed this, that there are so many Asian temples throughout the United States. Like, there are heaps of them. Back when I was in Virginia, I felt like you'd be driving through the middle uh, of nowhere with some Thai friends, and they'd be like, Oh, well, let's go stop by this temple and just in the middle of nowhere. There'd just be a tiny little one, just one one monk, two monks. This was in rural Virginia, of all places. It's not a place that you would expect to have a lot of little Thai and Laotian and Cambodian temples, but there'd be just these tiny little places, a monk here, a monk there. In San Francisco... There are, or in the surrounds of San Francisco, and that includes Fremont, there are six Thai watts, full-blown boat, you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah, yeah six of them in San Francisco area. Um, and that for a while, uh, Abayagari and uh, Spirit Rock were in kind of league with each other so that uh, Achan Amaro and Pisano and some of the others, uh, Achan Sumedho even, would come and do teaching that was set up for Spirit Rock because um, uh, the Watt itself is up in Marin County. But when it got to the point that Spirit Rock was not actually assisting or helping the, the Watt, that they were actually just using the, uh, the monks oh, we've got this big famous monk here to come do this retreat, come join. <laughs> and then uh, Jack wouldn't pay uh, back to the, to the watch. So that kind of um, um, cast dispersions on that, that relationship. So this is all many, many years ago. But you're, the point that you're making is correct. I know of many places. A really good one, for instance, is a huge place in uh, Chicago uh, that's, that's part of the watch there. And that's curious because Santi Caro could have located himself in Chicago and had been able to teach all the retreats that he wanted there. But instead, he chose to buy land in, I think, Missouri and start from scratch. And it's taken him, you know, years and years to do that. There's uh, the same situation with uh, Anthony Markwell, who I think you know, who's building a retreat center right here on this very island, when in fact he could have been teaching at Wat Kautam where he used to teach. He could have gotten all of that straightened out and gone back, and he'd be years ahead. But now he uh, hasn't even got it up and running yet. He's tried to do retreats, but when the 
folks found out that they had to sleep on, on the floor under the meditation hall, um, their business was not as high. And so now uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens after coronavirus. But all of these places right now are shut down. Nobody's doing any retreat. Um, but I like your point about steering the, uh, uh, the teachers towards... And if there was an organization that backed them that had roots into the Sangha, that uh, they uh, say that it's not all Western. For instance, uh, uh, Bruce Anticaro and some of the monks that I know uh, that would, could be part of this organization, that would give kind of the, uh, the credence rather than, uh, you know, uh, Joe Bow, who wants to be a Dhamma teacher, walks into the nearest watch and says, hey, can I have your place for 10 days? He's not likely to get it. <laughs> no, but... If you know how to do it respectfully, I feel like you could walk into most any place that you've been, that you've gone to a few times, come for a few of the events, and Yes, that's exactly right. It does take cultivation now, doesn't it? I mean, if you've cultivated a little bit of a relationship, I feel like most places are willing to do that. I just don't see where people are going to get the people who want to do the retreats and are going to put up with this. Like, maybe it's a dime a dozen to find students who will go to a spa retreat center where it's all about relaxation and pampering, but kind of retreat center that's you're gonna we'll just all sleep on the floor with some blanket a few blankets and pillows and mostly just sit around and meditate all day I feel like it's hard to find people that want to do that um <laughs> I kind of thought that that's what people were doing at Barry and at um, uh, Spirit Rock no don't they have like lots of like which one do you think it is? The uh, sleeping on the floor, whatever goes variety, or the that, spa relaxation that, and pampering variety? Well, generally, you're you're going in the right direction with that issue about uh, sleeping on the floor, because most of the watch that I know of. Uh, can handle a large number of monks from time to time. But by handling a large number of monks, that means that we're just sleeping all over the place. But if there's yeah. a spot on the floor, there you go. There's your bed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the last times I stayed over at a temple, it was kind of like, well, let's see. We've got monks taking up all the goodies right now that are not under construction, so... Here, just go. Here's a little tent that'll keep the mosquitoes away and a couple blankets. Go set this up over in front of the Praputalu. In that sala over there, and you set it up. The sala's got a roof. You've got a way to get the mosquitoes out and a couple blankets to soften the cement, and there you go. That's exactly the way that we did it at Watt Greensboro for, gosh, four or five years in a row. Had lots and lots of retreats there 
Uh, Or, you know, when there's going to be a big event. I remember uh, a year or two ago, I was part of a Gatina festival and I ended up getting, you know, a little bit of just a cement pad, who knows where, in the way out there because it was just full of monks and lay people and that was my spot. I had to, I have my own growth, my umbrella mosquito net and I brought a blanket because I knew it was going to be packed and voila. The Wad in Chicago, uh, and I don't know who's the abbot there now, but uh, um, uh, I knew the monk who used to be there because he was at Wat Suen Mok. That Wat is actually part of uh, Wat Suen Mok. Uh, when uh, Santa Caro, for instance, got started in the United States, that was the place that he went. Um, Verisac Veradamo, in fact, is, uh, uh, was the abbot there for years and years. Now he's in Phuket. But that place has adequate accommodation for huge number of students. Many of them could be, in fact, in private rooms because it was a church that it has um, a Sunday school section. So, you know, they've got all these little rooms for all for Sunday school. Uh-huh. And so all of these Sunday school rooms could, be, could have already been converted into uh, dormitory and uh, uh, with one and two room, beds in each of these rooms. Uh, so also there's a big lout temple in uh, Denver. Uh, there's several uh, watts in Dallas that I know of. Gosh, there's a huge place in Amarillo too. All of these places that I know of have huge amount of space for accommodations. Uh, so there's a, uh, many, many of, of the watts are really, really small in the sense that uh, a small, uh, this is common, uh, a small Sri Lankan community will then get a house and a couple of monks to come live in that house. And that's their Bahara, and that's where the center of activities are. But uh-huh. um, on celebration days, there's going to be a hundred or more people. And then on, on that night, you literally cannot get from here to the bathroom. Yep. You will step on somebody. <laughs> I, I know how that goes. Uh, so they, they, these small houses that have just a few monks on celebration days, they get really, really crowded, crowded. But there are big established watts in the United States. There's one in Charlotte that would be uh, fully adequate for this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, I mean, you're making my point for me. Even the tiny ones, assuming people are okay with living very simply, primarily meaning sleeping on the floor because that's often the biggest constraint. Any of these tiny watts and viharas and so forth, even the really small ones are used to, at the festival times, having a pretty decent-sized crowd, including people who are staying overnight. Precisely. And they, they, they know how to run that sort of a thing, as long as the lay people that are coming are able to pitch in to make food and acquire food. There's really nothing else. I don't know. I feel like getting a place to do a retreat is super, super easy. I just don't know where you get the, the people to go on them. Particularly the kind of people that are okay with, you know, 
Oh, right. I'll tell you where you can find people who will uh, who will go on the on the retreats because they seem to uh, be be bubbling up. Um, now, while we can use Reddit as an example for um, a place where people come to argue about the Dhamma, that I know Dhamma better than you do, and I'll blah 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 you about it. Um, still. Some of these uh, sites have 200,000, 300,000 members, um, and that um, joining the Open Dhamma Foundation. I think that there are students, there's lots of them out there. Uh, another example of that would be that right now I think there's like 230 people who are subscribers to the uh, to the channel uh, on YouTube. Uh huh. Very few of those have ever called me, so they just kind of look at the videos. And uh, I would go on so far as to say that many of the people who watch the videos haven't actually subscribed. They haven't joined or subscribed, and so. We don't know how many people are out there, but we do know that it's a growing number. And so I would imagine that um, uh, that through organization, there will be one, let us say, group. One subgroup would be then the one who is contacting the various watts and temples and trying to get uh, them organized so that they're willing to support. Uh, a retreat uh, and do so at, at the very lower minimal cost. And I think that the people would get a great benefit by being able to do a retreat, not in some fancy retreat center, but actually at the watch so that there's monks in the background and they're living their day and all of that kind of stuff while the meditation retreat is happening. I think that's brilliant. Thank you for that. <laughs> and some other group then would be responsible for organizing and uh, uh, making the information available and uh, bringing in the students. And then another group would be uh, working to organize the teachers themselves. Well, One, and go ahead. And you're going to need some stuff on there about how to get arrangements for options for arranging food. Mm hmm. Yes. That, in fact, would be another group, would be the fourth group, is uh, uh, the logistics group. So you've got Good housing, logistics, teaching, the volunteers would be in that group. Uh, and the, um, uh, the housing, which, you're, as you're right, I'm sure that the Asian communities would be overjoyed to be sponsoring uh, retreats that are done in English language. Oh, yeah. Before I moved back to Thailand, uh, I got pulled into this I told you about this before but I got pulled into wasn't a retreats but they were meditation classes in English mm -hmm. which is something that Wat Thai DC has offered sporadically a lot of the monks aren't very comfortable in using English but I got tapped to assist in the be an assistant teacher for that for a little bit uh huh now while that what Thai Washington DC we both know about. I I know both the old and the new, and you know the new one, and you know that that one would it doesn't have really the kind of space 
for um, a large group of people. But you also have how been big to, are we talking? Well, what I'm getting I'm getting around to that. What Lyle, uh, Washington D.C., the Lyle Temple in Washington, who has um, uh, Achan Bunmi as the abbot there, they've got room. They've got room. They've really got room. They've got room for people in tents. You haven't uh, been to Wat Thai DC since they built the Lung Ta Chi building, though. Probably not. Yeah, they probably got a whole lot more accommodations. Yeah, so they've got a whole big three-story building. and. My goodness, I didn't know that one. Oh, yeah, it's much bigger than the, the board building. So, you know, the whole top floor is... They've got a big library and a whole bunch of little rooms for monks and occasionally visitors. And yeah, they can they can handle a lot more people than they could have before. Okay. When when we have guys that um, we we've, we've got a loose end of to, to, uh, to figure out or to uh, uh, to discuss when I said that there are two ways that guys become Dhamma teachers. Oh, yes. One way is when they're actually part of a lineage and that the uh, these more senior monks in the lineage push one into teaching, which is what happened to me. That's why I avoid senior monks. <laughs> You're not going to avoid Ajahn Po when he's standing in front of you at the, uh, no, standing in the yard of your cootie. <laughs> I mean, if he shows up to the yard of my cootie, I haven't seen him in over a year, and I have no scheduled time to next be showing up in one of those cooties, but... Well, anyway, I'm thinking about the old days when when it was hard to avoid him. Um, but yes, so that's the encouragement that they have. As you know, he's encouraged to do this stuff on, on the internet. Um, but the other kind of teacher, uh, and I'm talking about extremes here. So there's, there's places all in between. But the other extreme would be the guy who has just a little bit of Buddhism. He likes it really a lot. And he really, really wants to teach it because he thinks it's wonderful. But he's also got to eat. And so wind, it winds up that you, you eat first and then you talk, speak Dhamma. And that they've kind of got it the other way around. They think that they can make money off of teaching the Dhamma rather than... Uh, having their life together through an organization so that the organization will support them while they're learning to teach. And that's what we don't have in the West. See, we've got all of these watts. The Asians in the West still have their organization, but the Westerners are not part of it. Westerners can be part of it. That's the whole point. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's Man, do you done. have any idea how often people were trying to grab me and put me in ropes back in in Virginia? I was always like, this monk's like, oh, I have this temple, I have that temple. Like, you come on by, I'll ordain you. And 
there's no shortage of opportunity. It's just that there's no one who wants to be a, a monk in one of these. There's not no one. There's just not a lot of people that want to go that route. Well, that's because the folks don't know anything about it. I imagine that when people start doing retreats uh, at the Asian watch in the West, that there will be a lot of them who spend a lot more time there. You see, part of the problem is, is that most of the Asian monks in the in the American temp, temple don't really ever learn English language. No, because they don't have any Americans have... showing up. Right, so it's basically a catch-22. And we can crack that code. And the, and the way to crack it is uh, for these guys who have been in the Dhamma enough, then to uh, assist them getting into and friends with the various temples and get some retreats started that's in the temple so that we don't have to go the bed and breakfast style. Or what is it, Airbnb? <laughs> it is the Airbnb bed and breakfast. That makes much more sense than the, you know, building your own center variety. Uh, I still Yeah. I'm still um, intrigued by the possibility of doing these sorts of things in the the parks and wilderness variety. Talk about a good old-fashioned way to hold the retreat. Say, well, it's not raining or snowing right now, so we're just going to go find some trees and... You know that... That was the way that it was done in the time of the Buddha. That was the retreat. The only thing was is they didn't have an end date. <laughs> Obviously, that might not work in, for a lot of months in a lot of areas in, the, in America. Depends on the state, of course. The southern states, less restrictions. Northern states, more. Well, what I have seen as a trend is, uh, you see the 10-day retreat thing got started because of Uba Ken's um, dealings with the Burmese government back in the 1950s. But there's nothing magical about a 10 or 11-day retreat. And so uh, a month could have three retreats but it depends upon how they get started, how they're coordinated, and how they're ending. And it looks like then that three seven-day retreats in a month is doable. And so uh, in, in that way, it looks like that seven-day retreats would be probably the best way to do it. Like on a, uh, the way to do it would be, let us use Saturday as the example. So Saturday is the first day of the retreat. That means they show up on Friday night. Uh-huh. And then the ending ceremony um, would be um, in, in a 10-day retreat would be the following Monday morning would be the end of it. But if it were seven days, then it would give you the weekend starting from Friday evening, which would be the introduction and uh, check-in and all of that. And then the retreat starts on Saturday. That means at the end of Friday, after seven days, 
then the guys could have a, a weekend off before they return to work on Monday. And so having right. a seven-day retreat seems to be much better uh, logistically for uh, the students than a full-blown 10-day retreat, which takes uh, more than five days uh, out of your, uh, so it can't be done over the period of a week. Well, what about just holding one day and weekend retreats? That may be the way to get it get it started at each and every one of these watts that we're talking about. We have to also recognize that there's a whole lot more than just the Thai watts. And in fact, I think that Laos has got more watts in, in the United States than the Thais do. Oh, yeah, I, I'm not singling out the Thais. And then there's the Cambodians. They're good too. They've Cambodians, got a lot of Sri Lankans, the Burmese even have some. Yes, there's not very many Burmese and not very no. many Sri Lankans, but they're because of the uh, the war. You'll have, um, in fact, uh, Vietnam. The Vietnamese are the biggest group, and I would be against holding retreats in their facilities. You know, in fact, you're the one who told me that the Vietnamese government required that Mahayana and Theravada merge together, and it seems to have worked very well for them. Oh, yeah. And so doing a um, uh, whatever tradition retreat that the student is trained in at a Vietnamese temple will work, which means if the teacher is Mahayana, they're good to go in a Vietnamese temple. If they're Theravada, they're good to go. <laughs> And the, and the majority of the temples, I think, in the United States are Vietnamese, followed then by Laos, and then followed by Thai, and then uh, trailing up the Cambodia as the main big ones. And then the ones who are just dabbling uh, would be the Burmese and the Sri Lankans. Plus there's other, there are other Asian ones. There are lots of Zen centers. A lot of the Zen centers aren't even really Asian at all. That, yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. The, the Zen centers are, in fact, almost all Western already. Yeah. I mean, Zen, as and far as Japan, Buddhism goes, Zen Japan, sort of got Japan, the first mover advantage. Japan just did, I mean, <laughs> um, the, the Japan, Japanese in the United States were round up and put in internment in World War II, and I think things have been downhill ever since then. <laughs> so you're not going to find any actual Japanese establishments much in the United States. But, but Mahayana, this... Chinese Mahayana, you better believe there's a lot of Chinese Mahayana as well as Tibetan. Hard to yeah. tell sometimes. I don't know. Um, I haven't been to a lot of Chinese Mahayana. A lot of their temples tend to be more of shrines and not a monastery, so I don't know how well... There is would... a monastery, a Chinese Mahayana monastery in Charlotte. That one I know of. I've been there. But the others, I'm going by kind of recollection and hearsay i mean i think a lot of them by numbers they're mostly more sort of what i would consider a shrine and so they aren't set up for you know people living there 
but still it's down in, in the minuscule part like um, Burma and Sri Lanka. To where right. the Japanese, I, I don't know of it. Every Zendo is going to be an, uh, a Western thing. It's not going to be Japanese. Right. At, at most, there may be a few Japanese people. Perhaps the the Zen master might be Japanese. Might be Japanese is the word here. Most of them won't. Some yes, might. Even then, but, most of the students will be. Right. They'll all be Western as opposed to, say, a, um, a, a Taiwan. If right. you walk into a Taiwan, you'll be the only Westerner in that lot. Yep. If you walk into a Western uh, um, Zen uh, place, there may be one or two Japanese and everybody else is Western. That's the point that I'm making. Right. I don't know how well the Zen centers would work for holding a, a, a Dhamma retreat. I don't know, but they seem like uh, I've got a student. Gosh, what's his name? He's done a Zen retreat. Aman has done a Zen retreat in a Zendo that's in northern New York. And so if they've already got their facilities, that's not the group that we're thinking about anyway. In other words, in, in the Zendos, they probably because they've got a master there that they're only interested in teaching their lineage, that they've got it set up. Right. That's why I think they wouldn't work so well, is because if they've been able to establish the Zendo, usually it's kind of a, they already have a set teacher for the location who runs things, and odds are pretty good that they have sessions, that they have the Zen retreats on a regular basis already, and they wouldn't mm -hmm. want to be so open to outside ones. Uh, the same is true with several of the Mahasi centers that I know of, that they've already got set teachers, and the teachers and the uh, the buildings are already associated together. Right. I'm Those would work. I doubt a lot of the Tibetan ones probably wouldn't work, but most of the Southeast Asian ones, I feel like, generally don't have any sort of meditation retreat offerings, maybe an occasional thing here or there, but there are heaps of them that have facilities, and it wouldn't be hard to build a relationship and use the facilities right. if that was needed. So with um, just the numbers that I've, that I've mentioned, uh, I can right off the top of my head can think of 10 or 15 guys who would really like to get into teaching meditation, um, but they don't know how to go about doing it because there's a whole lot more to running a retreat than just what am I going to say while I'm running the retreat? <laughs> See, that just confuses me because the, the logistics of the retreat, to me, it's not a hard thing. But then again, when I was... Not if you don't know how to do it. I used to run scout camps, so the logistics side of, you know, bringing in groups of people for multi-day trainings, bunch of strangers getting them to work together, managing the facilities and food and volunteers. That's something that I've done before. And so to me, that's that's yeah. trivial. That's the easy bit. The hard it's, part is just finding people. <laughs> Actually, the skill that you're talking about is an unusual skill, especially for guys who have spent all their time trying to learn Dhamma without ever having doing that. That I thought 
because I was um, assisting and running retreats with Gawanka, and then I started running retreats with uh, uh, at at Wat Suan Mo. I failed to comprehend the necessity of the support staff. So when I started running retreats in the United States, yeah, I had the building, I had the watch, I had the Dhamma, but what are we going to do with all of these people and where are we going to put them and how are we going to feed them and all of that kind of stuff became um, a, a training tool that you're saying that you've already been there and done that. I would say that um, um, I know someone, in fact, I've lost track of him, but you used to know him too. His name is Thad, Thad Conley. Uh-huh. I, yeah, I can't get a hold of him. I have, I've lost track of him. But he would be one that would be really excellent in that because he has been the logistics manager for the uh, Goenka retreat in California for now years. Hmm. And so he knows exactly how retreats are run. He's also, you know, the building manager and, and whatnot like that. So um, he, he would know how to do that. So that's actually going to be part of the training. And um, again, you're saying, where do all the people come from? I've got guys on, on the Internet who are saying, I've got all of these people. What are we going to do with them? <laughs> Well, especially if the retreat is, say, less than 20 people, I feel like the logistics is quite easy. Once you get more than that, then you You're start right. needing to have some actual dedicated staff who have been on a retreat, perhaps, especially when you're starting off the sort of a system who have volunteered. But again, like I volunteered to help staff retreats before, so that's again doesn't seem like a challenge to me but if you don't have that kind of a person if all you want if all you know is how to give the talks then you're in trouble because you need people who can help in the kitchen you need people who can get people signed up people who can talk to people who are wanting to drop out of the retreat or have other issues or scheduling the facilities and all the name me stuff. one student who does not want to drop out of the retreat <laughs> oh there's always there, everyone might think about it at some point yeah, that's what i mean everybody at, that goes through everybody's mind let me out of here <laughs> but you know at some point you have to have someone that students can go to if they are actually serious about jumping ship What I've come to understand is the guys who jump ship, you can tell it a day or two in advance because that they're the ones who first break their silence and start talking to each other. <laughs> and then they talk themselves <laughs> into leaving. <laughs> they talk to each other into, into leaving. <laughs> and so if you can maintain silence, you can pretty well keep the group together. Um, so you've given me several really good ideas today, Robert, on this. And the one that I like the best is let's incorporate, um, not just looking at how to get the teachers together and get them organized, but also let's look at what we need to do to get together, to get the retreat centers organized, especially if we're going to start, um, um, 
working on getting the Asian watch involved. One thing that I do want to mention is, is that Dan Ingram has a huge list of places that, uh, that hold retreats. And so I was thinking that he would be a really good resource for retreat centers. But I'm really liking also the possibility of going more rustic and more Asian and um, more authentic by doing it in the various temples that we have scattered around. I like that idea. That would be good. So we organize the temples and then we would go so far then as to begin to organize um, uh, the volunteers and the staff and the logistics people. Where That would be where you and Thad and some others that I know of could fit in. Not necessarily that they're the ones that have to go to the retreat, but they could hold their own talks or seminars or whatever to teach people how to organize and get a retreat going. Uh-huh. Maybe oversee or, or whatever like that, because we got such an advantage with, with Skype. Um, one of the students wants to do online retreats, and I'm not sure how that's going to work out at all. It can work. Well, for one thing, what's morning? Morning is when morning is. Yes, okay. So when people, when it's time to wake up in the morning, where are people located? They're wherever all they the were world. sleeping. Right, well, wherever is morning, though. I mean, where? Because <laughs> we've got students in England. We've got them in the West Coast. we got them on the East Coast. I've got a number of students in, in uh, Eastern Europe. And then, like yourself, in this time zone, we've got um, students in China. We've got students, several students in Australia. We've got students in uh, in Thailand. Three, four of you now in Thailand. Uh, did so, I ever tell you that I once was uh, joined in on a, a two-day session online? Oh no! Tell me about it. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things. My involvement with Zen, obviously there's no Zen temples in up here in northern Thailand. It's an online group that teachers based in Japan, but people are from all over the world, it's English speaking, but they hold an annual two-day retreat online. And so there are all the instructions for sort of prepping whatever space that you're going to, each student will be in. And then... You know, there's sort of an outline of the schedule, and it's broken into components. I think it's three-hour blocks. And so it's set up that there is sort of an official retreat time when those blocks are being live broadcast, but they're also recorded. So people will kind of rearrange the blocks according to how that fits into their time zone. So, you know, people might be getting up at 6 in the morning, and... Then you have different blocks that are sitting, walking, sitting, walking, lunch. Doing okay, so you're saying tools. that we could actually then divide the world up in, say, four time zones of three hours each. And that at one time zone, it would be morning in this area of the world and lunch in that part of the world and evening in the next part of the world and the middle of the night and the and the 
fourth part of the world. Is that what you're getting at? Not so much that you divide the world up, but you divide the schedule up. Okay. And then you're broadcasting whoever's running whatever. You're going to have online meeting groups. And those groups are being recorded. So whenever there's a talk or ringing bells or whatever, that's all recorded. So suppose things get started here in Thailand, and that's where, you know, suppose you were running it. And so you would be, you know, the one ringing bells or whatever and whatnot. And then different students will be getting up throughout the day and, and night at different times. And they will join in things live whenever it fits their day-night schedule. And then for the rest of the parts, you know, if the live people have stopped broadcasting and it's afternoon in your time, then you go back and you go to the recorded sections and you do those segments not live just going along with the recording so you okay. get a combination of live and recording and everyone just kind of has to look at their time zone and put these three hour recording slash live stream sections into their own schedule and you can plan that out for students or you can just trust that they'll do it but uh-huh well now here's the thing that i find kind of interesting and that is, other than the than the content that uh, of the talk. By the way, do you have your um, uh, Pat Loom, your uh, electric fan, blowing towards your microphone? Because I hear a lot of noise turbulence. Uh, no, that is the just the regular loom. Lots of wind. Okay. I'm trying to put the microphone in a little bit more of a shielded place, but the wind gets everywhere. That's better. That's immediately better. Okay. Okay, so um, let's look at it versus the style of not not the retreat center that Achan Po is running, but the way that he operated himself <clears throat> with me had to do with a one-on-one -on -one relationship. Same thing with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. And so... This is the kind of style that I think that is so valuable that we're doing here on uh, Skype, where the students have the one-on-one -on -one time with, with the teacher. And now that that's so easily available because of Skype, it is confusing as to why we still have the mentality of doing it in an organized retreat. It's like... The difference between having an organized retreat where all of these people come at one time together because the teacher is from a foreign land or um, or something like that versus a typical what in Thailand to where uh, the teacher is always there and the students are always there and they just have chats together and learn the Dhamma. And in a much more... Um, how to say it, natural environment. Uh, also, retreats have the quality that if we're doing a retreat on a regular basis over and over again, we wind up catering only to the beginners. So yes. it's the same beginners retreat time after time after time, rather than each retreat being unique based upon what the students need in that particular moment. So 
I'm having a little trouble getting my head wrapped around how can we change the, the, the style that's working on uh, basically for the first time on Skype and trying to shove that back into the model that we've grown up with, uh, but only in the past, uh, say, 70 years of these 10-day retreats that the more that typical or old-fashioned way of doing it was much nat more natural and not so much organized. And here we're talking about how much organization that it takes to get the students, to get the building, to get the, uh, uh, the logistics, to get the food, to get the teachers all ranged up. It seems like not so natural a thing to do. No, it's not. And yet, I guess if we're going to uh, go after a fairly large audience or get any organization around teachers, the teachers are probably going to be organizing around doing structured retreats. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've talked to you about this before, and you had to convince me into going down to uh, meet Adan Poe and actually participating in a formal structured retreat with a retreat center and everything. That's never I did really... talk you into it, didn't I? Yeah. I loved it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I would love to go back. If one of these days I can get my hands on some more train tickets and whatnot, I will be grabbing my white clothes and jumping on the train. That was a great experience because of being able to meet all the other people, but on the flip side, like what I was doing here for for a year or two before I started having the gallbladder issues that kind of necessitate me to eat more frequently, which is inconvenient for the Watt. They, they're kind of set up just to have a morning meal, maybe two at most, and my gallbladder will throw a riot if it doesn't have a bit more frequency. But what I was made, doing before, they made accommodations for you at the uh, Deepable One, though, didn't they? Well, Deepable One, they could because they have a kitchen, but a regular Watt doesn't have so much of a kitchen. I mean, they might have an area to sort of collect and whatnot, but monks don't store food, so there's no provisions to have a little bit of fruit or rice in the afternoon and evening, and so I haven't gone to temples really much over the last year since that health issues happened. But what I would always do, i just go show up and just sit in the public areas and sit and walk and Maybe I'd bring a book with me and just go along with the usual monastic schedule, go off on alms round, help them help monks with that. And, you know, maybe I'd have a conversation or two with another monk, and that's just, that was a retreat. I'd just show up whenever yeah. I wanted and stay for however long. Well, while that is par for the course in Thailand, the watch there in the United States are set up to do this, but the Westerners, when they think about, oh, I've got to go learn to meditation or I'm going to go do a retreat or whatever, they never think about the Asian watch that are so common in the States because of the refugees and all of the Asian people that are in the, uh, America or, in fact, scattered throughout Europe. Uh, a huge number of Thai in London. See, and when I first got started, I'd, I'd done meditation off and on uh, uh, based on books and a little bit of in-person instruction for years, not never very seriously. Once I got serious about it, I just started going to Wat Thai DC and I'd say, all right, can I stay overnight for a few days or whatever? And 
it got to the point that I never even would ask in advance. I'd just sort of say, oh, I'm going to stay the night. And they'd be like, all right, uh, do you want to take the library or this room or that room? And blankets are in the usual place. And I just sort of show up when, whenever it was convenient and leave whenever. A lot of times if there was an event or a ceremony going on, I'd just come a day or two in advance as work allowed. And this day a few nights helped prep the area. And whenever I wasn't helping set things up, I'd just go find a quiet corner and sit and walk and maybe read a little bit and right what you're doing is you're describing the typical life of a look sit yeah by the tens of thousands in thailand guys go do that and then in the united states what one or two (laughs) that's that's how i learned the dhamma is i just was a look sit i was a look what and i'd go and you know i've i've never taken a monastic ordination but got to the point that one of the temples I used to go to a lot, they just said, whenever you walk in, we aren't going to bother to give you the precepts. We don't need a ceremony. If you're on temple grounds, so you're holding the eight precepts, unless you need to hold the five, in which case do five. And when you leave, then consider your, the, uh, go back to doing whatever precepts you do in your everyday life. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, the only thing that mattered is show up for evening chanting. That's when we'll give you a key to wherever you're going to stay your night. We'll just pick a place and I lived the uh, that Tudong practice of you don't pick where you sleep, you just pick wherever they point, and they say, go sleep there. I don't know. You can do that anywhere. Any of these Asian temples will let you do it. Absolutely. And nice. That's why exactly. I just think the whole retreat question is silly, because that's not how I learned the Dhamma and how I've practiced the Dhamma. And You're right. You're absolutely right. And so that's something that we really do need to put into it in the following way right now it looks like that western buddhism for whatever reason has become divorced from its asian roots yes and that we've got an opportunity to reconnect to bring uh the western dhamma student close to the actual practitioners, you know, there are watch there, there are monks there who are dedicated. Not only that, but you probably understand what I'm about to say here in ways that most people won't. And that is the Thai community in the United States at a particular location or uh, with having um, among themselves advice from each other. They, when they go to choose which monks they want to become the temple abbot, at a particular watch in the United States, they know what they're looking for. They know uh-huh. who is noble. They know what monks are good monks and which are bad monks. And so they're more than likely going to be choosing nobles. So by and large, the possibility of a noble, one who really knows the teachings of the Buddha, um, is more likely to be, let us say, just... Watt for watt, the likelihood of you walking into a typical watt in anywhere in Thailand, the likelihood of there being a noble there is fairly low. But walking into a watt in the United States or in England or in the West, the likelihood of you encountering a, a noble is pretty good. Yeah, that's why, like I said, just this whole, your whole question here. I, I get how it's arise. It just doesn't seem like a question to me. Like, where do we find a place to practice? I don't know. You just find somewhere, anywhere, really. But there are a lot of places, and we need to then reconnect the the typical 
Dhamma student who is looking to learn the Dhamma to reconnect them to the roots of the Asian Buddhism, which is available to them. Any city in the United States is going to have multiple Asian temples. But there's, where's the room for the uh, the Western aspiring Dhamma teacher in this? Like when you're a Luxit, Luxit what? You don't have a teacher. You've got you have a bunch of monks who are kind of your older brothers in the Dhamma who are helping you out. They're your brothers and aunt, you know, aunts. You're your brothers and uncles and father and grandparents and whatever else you want. You want they're all your your. They're well, all you, sort of your teachers, you already, and then you've got books and recordings. You, are, and... you already know the answer to that because you already told me that that's exactly what happened when you were at Washington, D.C., hanging out as a looks at. They put you to work. Yeah, I mean, teaching. you help. Teaching. Well, that was a an little, accident. A little bit. <laughs> you think. <laughs> I don't know who was at um, uh, the abbot at Wat Thai, Washington. Um, uh, Lung Po Surawak was the temple abbot there then. And I know him like a typical abbot is if they do have a Westerner who understands the Dhamma is available, they will rather have that Westerner teach the Dhamma than an Asian. Why? Because of the language difficulty. Yeah. And I mean, so someone actually you, knows that to work, just like Achan Po and Bhikkhu Buddhadasa, they put me to work. <laughs> well, that's the nice thing here in Lampang is no one's trying to put me to work. Well, I don't know about that. We'll see. <laughs> but meanwhile, yeah, these these guys who are interested in teaching the Dhamma and want to get started at it, the best thing for them to do is to start hanging out and spending time at some Asian Wat near their home. That they may, in fact, get a big dose of magic when they go, but that's just part of the, <laughs> the bath that <laughs> you take, <laughs> that they'll get right down to real Dhamma pretty soon. And that's just... Standard. You and I both have little bags and boxes of the sorts of amulets that you invariably pick up here and there. Uh, yeah, David told me a very interesting story. I think I've told you this, that he went from, uh, he was staying in, in somewhat outside of Watsuanmo, kind of in the south. Because uh, Achan Po had sent him someplace. I don't remember where it was. But he had to go for his visa in Kuala Lumpur. And when he went uh, for the visa, he took the time to go to the Thai temple in Kuala Lumpur, which of all things had a Sri Lankan monk as the abbot. Go figure. Interesting. But, <laughs> but when he went up to this abbot to, uh, to, to introduce himself and to talk about it, uh, he, uh, the abbot was already having a conversation with a Chinese woman who had just lost her husband. Mm. And so, yeah, they were in English because Sri Lankan and Chinese don't mix so well. So the natural language they're going to use is English. So David knows what they're talking about. And David thought that 
Well, why am I going to even spend any time with this guy at all? He's just magic up Well, after the end of the conversation, when David told this monk that he was from what so and mo, a complete change. A complete change. And so many students will say, well, why would this monk, if he were a noble monk, why would he put up with this woman who, who had just lost her husband? And the answer is, is that in this day and time, on this time of grief, teaching the noble Dhamma is not the right thing to do. This is not the time to tell her to stop thinking about where her dead husband's gone. <laughs> That's not the time to have that conversation. You want to give her consolation. So whatever she believes in, you're going to support that. You're not here to cause suffering. You're here to eliminate it. So sometimes we have to deal with some magic. When it's and the Buddha did that too. I mean, he taught Brahmins. And when he taught them, he knew all about their Brahmanism. Uh-huh. But when Westerners read that, they say, oh, the Buddha was teaching this stuff. No, he wasn't teaching it. He was just proving to the Brahmins that he knew it. He was gaining trust with them. He wasn't trying to teach them their own stuff. He was just, you know, pointing out to them that he knew their stuff. Sort of, sort of the pace and lead kind of thing. So when these um, uh, Dhamma students who want to aspire to be a teacher, if they start hanging out in the Asian watch, they'll have to go through a testing period. Won't last long, but it'll be there. They'll find a noble in the crowd somehow. <laughs> but a lot of the Asian places are going to look for kind of how long someone's been in the Dhamma, too. Yes, precisely. But they'll also listen. If he, if he wants to talk about rebirth and reincarnation, the monks will talk to him about rebirth and reincarnation. If you talk to Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa about it, he won't have anything to do with it, neither with I. But the Asian monks are, are used to that. Well, what so, I mean by that is for the uh, aspiring Western teacher, if they do go to their local Southeast Asian temple, I don't think it's going to be, you know, show up a few times and get put in as the designated English meditation teacher. But if someone's obviously has been around the Dhamma for a while and is willing to kind of support and be a part of the community, it's they'll, not going to be difficult. Him, right. If he knows the Dhamma, they'll know he knows the Dhamma. And then if he brings it up and suggests, I'd like to start having a group to meditate or I'd, I'd like to have a retreat and that conversation wouldn't be too difficult. A lot of places would be very happy to have someone who's willing to do that. A lot of times the monks have so much on their hands and inability to talk in English that they don't feel comfortable setting that sort of thing up on their own. Mm -hmm. That again, perhaps this will be difficult for people. I have the advantage that I could do that and it would go by quite quickly because uh, I speak Thai. Put Thai Thai. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that's that's going to be an issue also is the language barrier. But mostly 
uh, what's in the United States. We'll have a few Asians there, maybe not any of the monks, but a few Asian who have, um, let us say, some some say so or some sway at the what who also speak English. Oh yeah, there'll always yeah. be lay people who speak perfect English. Mm-hmm. And the native language, so that all of that kind of stuff will work out. The problem is getting the Westerners to show up at the Watt door over and <laughs> over again. That's the part that's hard because they're they're looking on the internet and they're seeing all of these retreats for sale. Uh huh. See, this is what I'm talking about. I I just don't see where people are going to grab their students. I don't know. Sometimes I think that the psychologists are right when they say you get what you pay for, which means if it's free, it's not worth anything. Oh, great. Next thing you know, you're going to be calling up and talking prices with places. Who, me? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, how much is the Dama worth? 50 cents a pound. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Although usually it it comes in the form of air, paper, or bits and bites. So, you know, it takes quite an awful lot of it to hit a pound. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Well, this has actually been... um, this, t- this talk has gone in a direction that I didn't expect it to go, but it's been very, very valuable, and you've given me quite a lot to go on. Before we close this, though, I'd like to uh, find out how that book is going. You know, What's... the Anapanasati. Yes, I know. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Never mind. You just gave me the answer I was looking for. <laughs> so I have a confession here. Uh, I don't sit in meditation as much as I would like to. And there's a part of me that, unless I, I feel like my practice is very strong, I, it feels like it's a silly thing to sit down and translate. Unless I feel like the uh, the sitting and just to sit is is going real good. Well, maybe if you sit down and do a few lines of translation and reading into the Thai what Bhikkhu Buddha Dansa is saying, it might give you the inspiration to go sit down for a while and put you in the mood to do the actual translation. Yeah, I've been meaning to... So I was looking at stuff, and I was thinking about this earlier today. I was thinking about the, the five faculties, particularly the one of Wiriya, the perseverance, energy. I feel like I've lacked a lot of that in practice really almost for the last almost a year now. Not Oh, been... well, I know what to do about that. Because it was February a year ago when you were down here. You're saying you're looking for the plane, for, excuse me, a train ticket someplace? <laughs> <laughs> Not How right hard now. are you looking? <laughs> not right now, uh, unfortunately. Not during, yeah. not during the, the nineteen days. I, I don't. It doesn't scare me in the slightest. I have a, uh, 
I'm young and fairly good health. I wash my hands. I wear a mask when I'm out and about. But my are they, lump, are they lump, running the trains? Is Thailand running trains? They are, but reduced numbers. And Lampang has some provincial laws where anyone who ed- exits or leaves the province, except in a few, I think you know, for a few workers and and stuff, you get quarantined for several weeks. So if I leave, I'm going to have a two-week retreat uh, on coming back. Well, so. let's wait until that's over. I don't even think they're doing retreats at Don Kim right now. I mean, not Don Kim, but uh, Deepa Pawan. But if things calm down, if if some uh, tickets come my way, you better believe that I will throw a laptop on that book and <laughs> plan on using them in my guti in the spare time after the formal retreat's finished to put in some serious things. All right. Let's, One make, of a, things, let's make a plan. <laughs> I was... Uh, one of the things I was looking at is with those those five factors, yeah, uh, particularly the the uh, the factor or equivalently the power of perseverance. I looked to see what the Buddha's teaching on that was because I figured that's the he's the guy to ask. And the the way to boost it is to stay away from people who don't have it, to be around people that have it, and to uh, basically study the Dhamma to get some inspiration. So gonna try to listen to some more talks and reach out yet again to the temple and mm-hmm. uh, okay well a bit about that perseverance another way in fact perseverance is not a very good translation of what no. we're actually looking at a no, better way of better, talking yeah. about it is is dedication en- dedication energy energy right the uh um, and another word for it uh, that fits would be enthusiasm or eager, eager for the Dhamma. Yeah. Perseverance, that sounds like a whole lot of Catholic work to me. <laughs> but since the recommendation is, you know, sort of to get rid of your friends that don't have that quality, it's like, well, I kind of live in seclusion, so there's not really anyone to get rid of except my wife. And, uh, thinking I, maybe I need to actually I, every time I go down to that center down the road it's just a couple kilometers down the road I never run into monks they're never there I don't know what's up well that's because you go at 7 in the morning I go er, I've gone <laughs> I'm early in the morning you. I'm busy so in my experience the optimal time to show up unannounced at a temple is like late morning I was about to go there. Okay. Here's a way of figuring that out. Find out when they eat together in community. At Watsuan Mok, they eat at 8 in the morning. So I discovered there's only one monk. Oh, there's only one monk there. There's only one monk there. Well, no wonder you don't know where he is. If I was on monk in my watch, you'd never find me. Yeah, so there's that one, and then up the hill from there, there's a bigger temple, and I think I would have given nine bows to the former abbot. I think he was a really respectable guy from what everyone talks about him. The current guy, however, is a is a builder. He's building this big, fancy, shimmery, thousand-colored boat up there, and... Builder monks, I am impressed at their builders, but they generally 
I've never struck a Dharma friend relationship with any of them. The I've builders, gone to that. as you know, even the Thai people know those that. That's what I was talking about before, that they know what kind of monk they want to invite to go to a, a wad in the United States. And that's a big deal because they've got to go through religious visas and all kinds of stuff. And so yeah. they're going well, to go invite monks that are worth bringing over. They're not going to uh, bring to in the United States the kind of monk that you're talking about that's a builder. Like the old Luang Bu, he, he set the place up and... You can see his handiwork is a bunch of really small guttis spread very far apart in the forest, and they planted a bunch of trees, and that's it. And then he passed away some years ago, long before I moved out here. And the new abbot, who's been at it, oh, I think coming up five, ten years at least, he's built this massive, massive big white statue you can see from all over the place and he's building the big fancy board mm-hmm. and I feel like I the old abbot and to... I would be the best of friends yeah. as much as a young guy and an old monk can be friends but the new guy he doesn't inspire so much confidence and I'm gone and the monks there are a little skittish which makes sense they're forest monks they aren't gregarious city monks that are just sitting around for people to give them gifts but I haven't struck up any good conversations there yet and with the other one that I feel like I'd get along right well with that guy he's the only guy as I discovered last month and I can never find him I've tried going when I think that he's going out on alms or back on alms or eating or whatnot but okay there's another way he's in hiding rather than you trying to find him you let uh excuse me instead of you trying to find him you let him find you that may take a while that's going to take decades. He no, it's barely not. leaves his temple. I barely leave my house. No, what I mean by that is go figure out where, whenever he's in and out, find wherever his path is in and out and go sit on that path so that he'll have to actually stumble over you. <laughs> he'll find you. <laughs> All you have to do is just sit there in the way and he'll find you. Ah, so you're telling me to set my uh, alarm for 5 in the morning, take a cushion and a blanket, a water bottle, and maybe a pinto with some food so that my stomach and whatnot doesn't act up. And Yeah, that'll work. That will work. Maybe sit- 5 is a little early, uh, but certainly before Bendabot. Or if you get there late and it's after 7 o'clock, just stay there. While he's on Bendabot, and he'll stumble over you on the way back from Bendabot. So I, I need to schedule myself a uh, a one day solo retreat slash trap for the mm-hmm. the solitary monk. That's actually a really, really good idea. I don't know why I didn't think to do that. <laughs> okay, well, you've got good ideas for me, and I've got good ideas for you. <laughs> I've been wanting to to meet up with this monk. I thought there were more monks than one initially, just based on how many guttis they had, and they have a really big hall, meditation hall. It's it's not a it's not a proper wat yet. Not surprising, given there's one monk, but doesn't have the sema and all of the uh-uh. ceremony. Uh huh. Okay. But it's connected to one of the higher up monks in the city. I discovered. It has to be. Those kind of temples that don't have their own sema have to be under the wing or arm of 
of what the dust. Sort yeah, of like a mission or something like that. Yeah, so it's it's the brainchild of a of a monk who's up there in the local Sangha hierarchy in I think one of the the temples that's sort of the headquarters for the Well if you've got a if you've got time, that's the what to hang out is the one that's got the really senior monks. Yeah, it's so it's your classic Thailand Sangha hierarchy temple, though. It's like 100% cement, several-story buildings, lots of young monks who are busy. In that case, you have to think very hard about where you're going to plop down. There's no place to plop down, and it's all hot. Sure and... there is, right against the door of the guy who runs the place. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know which floor he's on. Well, that, well, if you hang out there enough, you'll find out. I've never... Everything that's worthwhile getting requires a bit of investigation. You could do that. I mean, up to you. But if, if you want to meet these guys... Put yourself in the right place at the right. You, it doesn't even matter what's the right time. The right time will be when they when they find you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like uh, I think it was Woody Allen that said that eighty uh, percent of success in life is just showing up. Because I feel like it, I would, I would really like to have some monastic friends. I used to have them when I was staying at temples overnight regularly and since that's not been perhaps not going to lie there's a certain element of laziness and, and then the element of I don't want to impose on temples that I know that aren't set up for having people who are needing an extra meal or two the ones that I've gone to before and I have these temples just right down the road that it seemed like they'd be so great, and then I just never, never catch anyone there. Huh. So, but that's because you're the hunter. You're trying to catch him. You have to be the prey, and let him catch you. It makes perfect sense. That's the old I story would... of how do you catch a black cat in a in a darkened room? The answer is you sit down on the floor and wait for the cat. <laughs> uh, it would probably only take a few hours in the in the morning. I mean, probably right. six uh, to nine. It, I know when it gets hot. I know that they aren't going to be out on Bindabad. They're not going to be out when it's hot. When it's hot, it's going to be out really early in the morning. But there's a time for, and in fact, the the uh, here's an example. At Watsuan Mok, at nine o'clock is the magic moment. Why? Because they eat at eight, which means they're finishing up by nine. When they eat at eight, that means ceremony in a bit, and then the eating. But about an hour later, about nine o'clock, maybe a quarter to nine, something like that. That's the, that's the sweet time to go see Achan Po. I know where he's going to be. If I don't catch him at that time of day, I don't know where he's going to be. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to catch him. Not going to catch him. <laughs> yes, your, your strategy makes more sense. Now, in hindsight, my strategy seems kind of silly, just showing up for 10 
minutes at a time and wandering the grounds at various times throughout the day, hoping that I'll bump into someone or someone will respond to my hellos. Mm-hmm. It's not nearly as efficient as just simply popping my butt on in the middle of the road and waiting till someone comes in or out. There's well, only this- one. There's one gate, so it's got to show up, go through there some point during the day. Someone has to. Right, exactly. So, in that regard, the advice that I'm giving you here would be the same advice that I would be giving to any uh, budding Dhamma dude in the West. Is to just go to the temple and show up and let them find you. Show up and stick around. Show up and stick around. Sit down and enjoy your moment for a while. They'll find you. <laughs> and in general, it, it will be the right guy that finds you, not the wrong one. If you go looking for somebody, you'll be directed to the wrong guy. But if you well, sit down and wait, the right guy will show up. <laughs> the one temple, now that I know that there is only one guy there, it's hard to get the wrong one. That's true. That's true. But in, in the West, every watch has at least two, if not in the West, uh, gosh, what, Fremont and, and uh, uh, outside of San Francisco, got 20 at least. I think the big one, though, is in Los Angeles. There is a Watt that has, you know, they house regularly 40 to 60 months. That's you have a good, a good strategy for the other one, the one that the current Abbott's a builder? Do you think that I'd... Uh... He, he probably is not the only one there, and that if, in fact, he's interested in building, the question would be, how many other monks do you think are there? Four, five, six, ten, twenty? How many monks are at that one? Based on the number of guttis, most of them look unoccupied, but I've seen several monks there, so I'm guessing there's probably five, no more than ten monks there, but they could house... Maybe I, bet you, 20. I bet you'll find among that group an Achan. Normally the temple abbot, this guy that's a building, he's a Maha. But all you would need would be a, um, an Achan, a monk of 10 years or more. And you're more than likely going to find that. It's unlikely to have a, a Maha and then have all brand new monks under him. Because he's a builder. He doesn't want to be in, involved with the management of, the, of all of those other monks. But somebody will. He's the guy. The Achan. I mean, they changed the name, too. Of the what? Yeah. So the old one was... That's unusual. Something, something other, you know, a peaceful, whatever. And then the new name is... Samaki uh, Bunyalam. A lie? Samaki Bunyalam. Bunyalam. Yeah, so Samaki, but, like, unity, Boon, like, merit, Lam, Lam is like... Mm-hmm. But now Lam normally means Dhamma-yut. Yeah, but this one's not Dhamma-yut. I know that. That's why I was curious. I already figured that it wasn't Dhamma-yut. That area doesn't have Dhamma-yut. <laughs> we do. The place I used to go... I used to go to the two Dhamma-yut temples that were in... Uh... In the Ampu Muang. So I know this one isn't because it's in Ampu Muang and it's obviously not on the list of the two. 
but uh, it definitely is in the Thai forest tradition and not the Ajahn Chah's disciples claiming that they are the tradition, but just the general tradition of forest monks in Thailand. I've Don't seen that before. That. Somewhere or another, some Westerner decided that because Achan Cha's group is part of the um, uh, the Thai forest tradition, the mistake then is they are the Thai forest tradition. And no, they're not. <laughs> they're yes. in the Thai forest tradition. And guess where the Thai forest tradition is? Is it in... Uh, is it in Everywhere. Uh, uh, right. It's not in Udon Rajasima or Ufan Rajasima, it is in Thailand. Yeah, Every see, this place is just you a, find a, a forest, you're going to find a forest wat. <laughs> yes, this is a northern Thai forest wat. It's not connected to those. It's a very renowned, within, you know, a, a small geographic area, very renowned monk with a very large area that's just forest and standard forest temple. You know what they're like. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like some of the monks there would make good friends. It's just they're tricky to catch because yeah. they're they're forest monks. So, you know, they're going to go on Bindabat, come back, and they might not even eat together. Mm-hmm. I used I'm... to go there sometimes and just meditate in the sala, but no one ever came up to me, except for a lay person who was worried about me. Because I was walking, and they were worried that I needed a ride. Oh, okay. Well, since you since your tie is so much better than mine, I'm sure you know exactly what to do in that case. Yeah, but I never contacted the monks there. But if you think it's worth another shot, I gave I it do. a shot. I think there was a week where I went and I sat every day there just for 30 minutes or so, and I never made contact. The other yeah, trick... Fine. Find out if you can when they go to Bendabot and when it's finished and, and uh, be there when they come back for Bendabot, which would be 7.30ish in the morning, anytime in that area. You, you'll have to find out that. And every day is, uh, they don't go by clocks. They go by sunrise and sunset. And uh, so it's, it may yeah. be tricky, but you know when to get. The, the time to go is not a clock time. But it's, no, it's after a, the meal. It's right. either before the meal when they come back to the water. Better is after the meal. But if they're going to their cootie to have their meal, then you're not going to see them after the, the meal like I would if, uh, if the monks were eating together. So if the monks are eating together, you can figure that out. And then you've got them all. So when they finish eating, they're yours. Yeah, I don't want them all. I just need one. <laughs> I want one a friend. I'm not asking one, one to pick out. <laughs> what I was thinking is having my wife cook up some, uh, some sort of a, a drink, and I'll go out, go there in the afternoon since I've not had success in the morning. I was thinking of laying trap in the afternoon and seeing if I can't show up holding a tray with a bunch of glasses with perspiration dripping off them if I can't entice somebody into popping their nose out of their goody to have a cool drink and a chat. Excellent. Um, I know I that's say one of the few ways that you could... 4 p.m., but the best time would be around 6. 6 p.m.? Mm-hmm. Well, that's rather late. I was thinking hitting up probably about 4. Earlier than that's afternoon nap time territory. 
precisely right. That's the time that I'm talking about. Hit, like, for instance, hit, right now, right, it's 6.30. Cool. It's too late. Too late, yeah. Temple gates will be closed. <laughs> now, you've got to hit that sweet point. Lately, it's been right around 4, 4.30-ish. It starts to cool down. That's when people go out to sweep the pants. It's a good exactly. time to meet. That would be good, yeah. So, now you now you got a plan. So, And you keep I, checking... There may be those uh, train tickets show up sometime. <laughs> Let me know in advance. Don't just. No, we're going to have to wait until coronavirus is finished because they're not going to be running any retreats at Bipabuan. We'll have no. to figure out when they start up again and then we'll know. But I would love to go down there again. I really enjoyed the, the people there. I would like that too. That'd give me another excuse to go say hello to <laughs> to Ajahn uh, Dhammavitu. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know that joke. It takes three hours to say hello. <laughs> yeah. Then again, if if I'm going to go down there, I'd feel a little silly if I didn't at least have a chapter translated. All right, an incentive. One chapter per round trip train ticket. <laughs> and that book's got what a dozen chapters. I'm set for a good while yet. Yeah, right. We got a dozen years or more. I hope it doesn't take that long to get that book published. I mean, we've only been waiting since what, 1975 or something. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I might be able to get my wife to go down with me. That'd be really, really good for her. That would. That would be really, really good because you I could go that, down and do the retreat with the Thai people uh, and in Thai language, you can get benefit out of that. In fact, you get a whole lot closer to, to Ajahn Po in the Thai retreats than the Westerners do in the Western retreats. Well, that's why I went on the Thai retreat last time when you were so kind as to buy me tickets. I went on that and he gave the talks every day and I was able to to meet him. If it was on a Western retreat, I would have maybe seen him once, maybe twice. That's it. Yeah, so yeah, we can find um, a set of tickets. <laughs> that means I've got to get a couple chapters done. Okay, you're on. <laughs> All right, well, now I've got some more incentives. It gives me a timeline, too, because I've got business stuff going on with the solar cells. In fact, we just got the contract with the investment bank last night. Which, uh, in, which investment bank? This is being recorded, so I can't say. Okay, um, never mind. Doesn't matter. I don't <laughs> care anyway. Okay. It's a it's a smaller outfit. It's not one of the big big names, anyways. But right. they're going to be funding it, and we're in discussions with a unnamed company here in Thailand that has several of them and still a few more months before I think it'll make much progress but we're getting close so we're doing that and then I also have a side thing that's come up uh, importing some medical devices so my wife is planning on uh, closing down the shop she has a student of hers who's been learning how to make smoothies for months and months and months who's going to pay us a bit each month to uh, take over the shop, and my wife is going to then be able to go and work as sales for some of this medical stuff that we're trying to get imported. So okay. in a few months, hopefully the coronavirus has calmed down and my wife won't be tied to her shop, and 
going Go down on one of those down and take, the... Come down and do retreat. Excellent. See, like and that. if I have it in my mind that I don't need to wait until I'm doing a few hours of Vanasati a day before I feel like I'm... It's a good idea to translate. Instead, I'm thinking, ah, so that I can go down and spend a couple weeks doing this stuff. Let's get this book moving. Maybe that'll... It's a deal. Maybe that'll get me, get my ass in gear, (laughs) because it's been over a year, and I think I have like two pages, two pages in. I know. Well, you were actually doing the the section on... uh, the chapter on gladdening the mind, uh, part of the Sita Nupasana. You'd already gotten started on that. I think you said it was not ready for prime time, but that you had, due to my request, had started translating that one first. So I yeah. thought you were a couple of pages beyond being just a couple of pages. I don't know. I haven't looked. I haven't opened up the document for enough months that I honestly don't know what chapter I started on and how many pages in. I know I didn't get too far, though. All right. Well, you just remember that you've got train tickets riding on this. (laughs) (laughs) Robert, I'm going to let you go. This has been a delightful conversation, and I think that this one actually worthy of... um, um, putting out so that people will get an idea of, of what we're thinking about. So I do yeah. appreciate you spending your time uh, on this. I appreciate you for spending your time. I think part of what's not getting my ass in gear, I used to talk to you all the time and the last year or so I've been distracted with other things. I don't talk to you very much and then stuff just isn't on my mind and it doesn't happen. All right. So. Well, call me. We got stuff to discuss. <laughs> yeah, the trouble is, is that work people also say the same things. They say, "Call me. We've got stuff to discuss. I've got stuff to translate." <laughs> face bomb. Face bomb. <laughs> You'll have to make your chat your choices. Well, I'm in a, a better position now. I have a you know a semi-permanent dwelling. I've got a good system down for making food and a lot of my needs don't take much time and I've been able to get my health up a lot better for that was another issue yes I had a lot of issues with my health and I had no energy and I just be laying in bed for days on end and no translation or work or anything happens and that's the case but my health is much better now and a lot of my other life is kind of settled in I'm going used to sit and meditate all the time because I had lots of free time. I don't have as much free time now, but by golly, I could spare a couple hours a day. It's not that much time. Why isn't this happening? And that's where I'm going. I need to get that wiriya. I need to get that kicked in gear. I need to get talking to people in the Dhamma and good. Yes. get things moving. I really have missed you. I'm glad to see you back again. And I'm glad to hear you're feeling better. I know you've been sick. So, it's been All great right. talking to you. I will try to call within the next week or so, and hopefully I'll have a report on my status as being prey for the monks. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll see you then. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye, Robert.